A really solid skill for a CSM to build is enough trust with the client to really dig deep and ask the right questions to really understand what the client is really trying to achieve. Situations arise when a customer will ask for a feature to be built. And our first instinct as a CSM is to go to our engineers and say, this high paying strategic client needs this feature ASAP or else they'll leave. And it's great that the CSM is trying to advocate for the customer, but there's another more effective way to handle this request that will ultimately reduce the amount of stress and work for everyone. Gainsight presents the Game Changer Podcast with host Adam Joseph. Hello, and welcome to the Game Changer Podcast brought to you by Gainsight. That clip was from today's guest, Samantha Samuels, Head of Customer Success at FriendBuy. Today, we're talking all about multitasking, delegating, and asking why. Samantha shares how to manage a large account base without dropping the ball, why it's okay for a CSM to say no, and how smart hires make all the difference. And now, your host, Adam Joseph. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of the Gainsight Game Changer podcast series. I'm Adam Joseph, the Director of Customer Success at Gainsight. So I think anyone listening to this podcast who is either in or has been in a customer success role will know how crazily busy it can be. Managing a diverse and challenging customer base, as well as navigating some internal obstacles, can seem all-consuming. So it's important to know that there's definitely light at the end of the tunnel. So I'm delighted to say that joining me today to discuss these challenges is Samantha Samuels, who is Head of Customer Success at FriendBuy. Samantha, a very warm welcome to you. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on. And in all of my podcasts, I always like to delve into maybe non-business related matters to begin with to get to know you a bit better. And we were just talking before the podcast being recorded that you've uh, got back into cooking since uh, lockdown has occurred. So what's your speciality? What do you like making? Yeah, definitely. So I've started baking blueberry muffins, which I absolutely love. I, I eat all the time, but I've never actually tried to make them from scratch. So I did that once and they turned out really good. So I've been making them, you know, almost every weekend. And it's really nice because I make four large <laughs> blueberry muffins so I can have them throughout the week. How cool. And so look, I briefly said you were the, the head of customer success at FriendBuy, but I'd love to hear more about you and what's led you to where you are today. If, if you could give yourself a proper intro. Yeah, absolutely. I'm head of customer success at FriendBuy, where I lead a team of dedicated customer success managers to help FriendBuy's clients grow through referral programs. Mm -hmm. My passions for customer retention, technology, and e-commerce and fashion are the reasons I love helping FriendBuy's clients achieve their goals. Very nice, very nice. And from what I understand, you were one of the early hires at FriendBuy, right? And to begin with, which I think would be similar for most first hires in customer success, you, you have to do everything. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, it can seem a bit daunting, especially for, you know, people maybe joining startups as the first CS role. And it, it just seems like you have to do everything. So, first of all, what made you want to have a customer success focused role from the beginning? Yeah. So, you know, I joined FriendBuy six years ago as employee number five. And I really made it my mission to learn everything there was to know about the product, how to sell it, how to implement a best in class referral program for clients. 
and then really helping them optimize. At a SaaS company, customers are paying you on a monthly basis, as you know. <laughs> and I realized that really one of the biggest contributions I could make at the company was to really help retain these customers. So, you know, I found my passion in providing customers with an, an incredible partnership experience. And learning from my clients and helping them grow became my obsession. And I've dedicated myself to growing and cultivating the customer success team at Friendby. Yeah, I think definitely having a passion for the customer is one of the prerequisites for working in customer success. You can't fake it. You've either got it or you're not. And I've said on another podcast, actually, that when I'm looking to hire new CSMs, whereas I can teach software, I can teach workflow and processes, you, you can't teach giving a damn about the customer. I call it the X factor. And so I know, you know, even in the discussions that you and I have, you've got it in droves. You can just tell it in, you know, with the way that you talk and the passion from which you speak about wanting to help your customers. So it's definitely, if I think about some of the core characteristics of great CSMs and CS leaders, passion for the customer is definitely one of them. And another core skill and requisite that you need to have when working in this job is multitasking. Even if, you, if you're a high-touch CSM and you might notionally only have three or four accounts, we know in actuality that those three or four accounts will probably be made of many different departments or subsidiaries. So actually, even though it appears at the top level, you might only have a relatively handful, actually, there's many more stakeholders that you need to deal with. But certainly in other businesses, you might have an account base of hundreds of accounts. And that becomes really tough because one of the things we say about customer success, it should be a proactive role. But how do you be proactive when you've got such a high account base? Do you use technology? You know, So for example, here at Gainsight, we use dashboards, reportings, call to actions. So we're always aware of which customers to speak to at what time. But what are you doing? How are you managing to keep across your customer base without dropping the ball? Yeah, it's a great question. When I first started, I was the only CSM for a couple of years. And so I had around 150 accounts Mm. that I was managing, including some of our largest strategic accounts. And managing that many accounts, I can't say I never dropped the ball, but (laughs) I learned quickly how to... Yeah, you picked it up again quickly afterwards. Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What I would do is segment tasks into different buckets. So Mm -hmm. tasks that needed my immediate attention, tasks that needed attention, but I could delegate and then tasks that required me to provide a more thoughtful response and I could reply a day or so later. So that's really how I tried to prioritize managing that many accounts at one time. And then of course, I looked at the MRR of each account, who they were, if they were a good logo. I I really tried to do my best to segment those customers in that way, but also trying to give all customers my attention. Hmm. So when you talk about the different buckets, ones that needed your immediate attention, how would you know whether something needed your immediate attention? Was it when customers shouted the loudest? Was it customers that you based out on certain times in their life cycle? So for example, you knew you had to reach out at a certain point before their renewal date. Was it during launch? What, What was signified to you that someone might need your immediate attention versus ones that you could maybe not delegate if you were the only person, but maybe leave to a different time? Sure. I would say those go into two buckets, essentially. So I would say in the first bucket, you would have customers that would reach out to say something's not working. Mm -hmm. And then you would obviously have to go and investigate the issue. And we really didn't have solutions engineers at the time. I was also serving as a de facto solutions engineer. So it would be on me to kind of investigate the issue. And then I would escalate to engineering if needed. But to your other point, I would also, you know, if the renewal was coming up, I would make sure that I was 
proactively reaching out to those customers to ensure that we had a positive relationship and that the renewal was imminent. So it sounds like you had to wear many different hats, which I think will also resonate with many people listening when you're the first hire in CS. Sounds like you had to be the customer success person, but also sounds like a little bit of support, account management, professional services, all rolled into one. So you you must have been incredibly busy. Definitely. I also managed the onboarding function. (laughs) I was the onboarding function as well. So I onboarded the customer and then, you know, continued to help them optimize their program on an ongoing basis. So I learned everything there was to know about the customer lifecycle. And I would say in the early days as well, our founder CEO was the salesperson. And I would sit in in all of the sales calls and really understood what it meant to sell the product. Eventually, I took over and sold a bit. And then where my passion really laid was in cultivating that relation, that ongoing relationship with the customer mm-hmm. and helping them implement a best-in-class referral program and then really helping them optimize on an ongoing basis. So, I mean, given how busy you would have been having these different hats, I mean, it sounds really exciting, which is, I think, what I love about working with startups, right? You're there on the ground, you're there at the beginning, you're building the business, you're laying the foundations. It's super exciting. But on the other hand, you know, I was thinking about a title for this podcast and I kind of tentatively called it How to Work in Customer Success Without Going Mad. In other words, you know, how do you do it and still have a functioning life away from work without it being completely all-consuming? I mean, it must be something you have to be super organized to do and super on top of your brief. But are there any tangible things that if if someone's trying to, you know, in a similar state to you were back then and struggling to keep it all together, is there anything you might recommend or give advice to them about what, you know, to some pointers? The best advice I've ever received, I would say, is work smarter, not harder. And, you know, there are definitely those CS managers who feel like they need to stay up till midnight and answer every email to get to inbox zero. But it's really not about that. It's really about how to effectively manage your time and prioritize your time well. I think that's the biggest skill that makes a really great customer success manager. I think that's such good advice. I think even right now, obviously, there will be some people who are very new to working virtually or remotely. I certainly am. And just being completely open and and honest with you, one of the things I've been struggling with is having those proper lines of demarcation between home life and work life. Because you're doing everything from home, I'm tending to jump back on the computer, answer a few emails, clear out my Slack, which I know in the long run isn't healthy, but it's trying to eke out those bad habits because it's like any, you know, you can form good and bad habits. And the longer you do it, the harder it is to get out of. So I think you do need to manage your time effectively. And I think one of the other key factors in being successful in the job is actually the art of saying no. Sometimes saying no goes against the very grain of what it's like to be a CSM. Naturally, you're a yes person. You want to try and get in there, roll your sleeves up and get involved. But if you say yes to everything, eventually, I think the ultimate answer is just poor time management and eventually burnout. So As a CSM, what is the right way of pushing back against what your first instinct might be, which is to say yes? I mean, it's one thing if it's coming from a colleague, but another if it's coming from a customer. Anything you can share there in terms of helping push back from requests? Absolutely. And I agree with that sentiment completely. A really solid skill for a CSM to build is enough trust with the client to really dig deep and ask the right questions to really understand what the client is really trying to achieve situations arise when a customer will ask for a feature to be built. And our first instinct as a CSM is to go to our engineers and say, this high-paying strategic client needs this feature ASAP or else they'll leave. 
you know, and it's great that the CSM is trying to advocate for the customer, but there's another more effective way to handle this request that will ultimately reduce the amount of stress and work for everyone. So what I would recommend is scheduling a call with the customer and really listen to the details of their request. It's important to ask a lot of why questions to ultimately learn what the business goal is and what the customer is trying to achieve. Most often, you'll be able to achieve the customer's goal by leveraging the existing product. It's possible that there's a feature your product provides that your customer didn't realize they had access to, or you were able to come up with a workaround to help the customer accomplish their goal without having to build that feature. I think that's great advice. And there's nothing inherently wrong with saying no either. I think where the issue comes, if you're not offering any explanation about why you're saying no, I think that's one thing. I think if you can use some rationale about why the request can't be fulfilled, or maybe it can be, but not in the same time frame that someone wants it to be, I think most people are reasonable. It's different for things that are absolute showstoppers, right? Those are the things you just have to drop everything and get done. But assuming that that's exceptional, not the rule, I think most people are fine with a bit of pushback. I think the other problem is once people know you say yes to everything, if you dare to say no, it's like, well, you said yes to everything else. So it's important to, like I mentioned earlier, to develop the right habit. Customer success management is a tough job. If you're going to be subservient to everyone's request, people are going to take advantage of that. So I think when requests come in, especially as a leader, and this is, again, something I've tried to develop in my career as well, Rather than saying yes or no, the art of delegation becomes absolutely important. And for someone, and I think you and I have cut of similar cloth in the sense of our first inclination is just to jump in and, and help or get the job done ourselves. Actually learning when to delegate to others and letting them actually succeed and fail on their own merits is just as important. Is that something you've seen as well? Absolutely. And I really believe this starts during the hiring process. If you hire smart, driven, self-directed, and collaborative people, you'll really find that you won't need to jump into every situation. You know, of course, there are times when I'll step in, but I generally lean on my team to tell me how they would handle a situation and make it a learning opportunity. If you do feel the need to micromanage as a CS leader, then it's likely that the person on your team is probably not a great fit and probably shouldn't be on your team. One of the most important lessons I've learned in this role is to surround myself with teammates that bring skills to the table that I don't have, but that I want to improve upon. My team personally brings a wealth of knowledge and expertise from their previous roles. And frankly, they have many more years of experience than I have. So I make it a point to learn from them as much as possible in order to make informed decisions. Mm. I think as a leader, it's something that, as I say, I think as you get more experience and tenure of being a leader within customer success, you have to judge when the right time is to step in. And also, it's a great way of coaching your team as well. So as I said, it's important to let your team succeed or fail because in failure becomes so many valuable lessons in development. Even in failure, I've learned so many lessons because of the failures I've had. And I don't tend to make the same mistake twice. And it's really helped develop me. And I've been able to do that because in my career, I've worked for leaders that have enabled me to take smart risks, to try things differently. And you know, when they've needed to come in, I've benefited from their advice. So it's something I'm always aiming to get better at, but I think it's so important. If, if you're always seen as someone who just jumps in all the time at the first hint of trouble, I think you're really going to suppress the development of your team. So I think it, it's really important. Now, I think we live in an age as well where, I mean, you mentioned earlier about having an, an email box and trying to keep that down to zero, which is almost impossible. My barrier that I use, I try and keep everything on one screen the minute it goes, and the minute my Gmail goes to 51, which means I then have to go to page two, I get very uncomfortable. But it's not just email, right? We live in an age where we have Slack, 
or Microsoft Teams. We have email. We have phone calls. We have, my God, Zoom calls, right? So, or just substitute for your web conference system of choice. So, a demanding customer base, internal issues that you need to deal with, training, personal development, professional development, and trying to keep all of these messaging systems and video conference under control. How do you do it? How do you keep yourself sane and trying to across all of these various different systems that you have to manage? Yeah, it's an excellent question, especially now where teams are really highly distributed. It was funny, I was talking to one of my colleagues the other day, and we kind of coined this term Zoom surfing. (laughs) So we, we Zoom surf pretty much every day. And then we have a couple maybe 30 minute breaks throughout the day to grab a snack. But it's really, (laughs) we've been, we just, we've been Zoom surfing. Eat some of your blueberry muffins while you're at it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Now I know why you're baking them. Exactly. (laughs) I think, you know, most of us struggle with multitasking. And especially now when, like I said, teams are entirely distributed, there's an innate instinct to prove to your team that you're available. Mm. And I've personally been reading blogs and articles about how to stay productive working from home. And A few actionable items that I really learned are write down your top priorities for the day. If you have more than five priorities, nothing's a priority. And I think that is such an important point. Mm. You have so many things going on throughout the day. It's so helpful, at least for me. I actually now use a pen and paper to write down my priorities because if it goes in a sauna, that's where all my tasks go to die, basically. (laughs) So now I've been deviating from that pattern. And, you know, I actually ordered a bunch of notebooks from Amazon <laughs> and a bunch of pens. So now I just write, you know, my top five priorities for the day. And I, I really truly end up being able to complete most, if not all of those priorities for the day. And then I block off time to knock them out. But I think as well, a couple of things I'll say there. One is on many people write a to-do list or a priority list, but I think you can differentiate between What's on your priority list that you you cannot finish the day without doing? And for those, you might just have one, two, maybe a maximum of three, you know, those key things you need to get during during the day. Then you have a next list, which might be important, but maybe not so time critical. And then the third things, you know, are are the nice to haves. Now, hopefully they just don't stay on that same list forever. So these might be some training or awareness or some projects, you know, you need to get done. So to me, it's important to prioritize, as you say, Maybe I, I find actually putting them into that format works really well for me. But secondly, outside of the absolute show-stopping priorities list that I mentioned earlier, if you can't get everything done that you wanted to, don't beat yourself up too hard about it. And don't either feel that you have to work till 8, 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night to get it done because ultimately that's just a cycle to burn out all manner of horrible things. So those for me are really important that I find help keep me on the right side as well. But anyway, please carry on. I'm interested to hear more of your insights. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with everything you just said. And what I also learned about an excellent new method called, I guess it's not new, it's a (laughs) method called the Pomodoro Technique, which basically encourages you to break your workday into 25-minute chunks with five-minute breaks. Mm. So they have timers for that. If you Google Pomodoro Method, you can set a 25-minute timer, and then you can just get a bunch of stuff done in 25 minutes. And that does not include responding to Slack messages or responding to emails in real time. It's just making a list of the things that you want to get done within these 25 minutes. And that has proven to be incredibly helpful. As painful as it has been, I've, I've turned off 
all email notifications and have filtered Slack notifications to only notify me when I'm tagged in a conversation or if someone messages me directly. There's so many Slack channels <laughs> that yeah. you really don't need to be in. And it's fun to just peruse you know, on your downtime. I think as well, this whole thing about notifications as well. I, I've done the same thing both on my phone. So I've turned off notifications. There's nothing more, you know, you're going to bed. You, you might just have briefly look at your phone and see you've got that, you know, next to your email app that it says like number eight on it. So, you know, you've got eight unread. And then there's always a little devil on, the, on your shoulder that says, oh, maybe I should just check it. And then before you know it, you're then in work mode, you can't sleep. And so I think turning off notifications and also I have some mornings where I use my, you know, think of your out of office, not just of when you're on, you know, you're ill or on vacation, but you can actually use it and say, you know, I don't have access to email for the morning of. So customers are aware that you're not going to get back to them immediately. And it just gives you the license without feeling that you need to check email all the time. Because I often think, you know, we have so many meetings during the day. And very often in terms of diary management, we just put the actual meeting in itself. But actually, all meetings are a, a three-act play. You've got the preparation, you've got the execution, then you've got the follow-up. But if you've just got meetings all day, it's very difficult to prepare effectively, to follow up, think what you could have done better, share ideas with the team, because you're then just in the next meeting. So as you think about diary management and time allocation, just make sure that you're putting time in for all three aspects of those meetings. You don't want to have meetings just about meetings or then have to remember what they or then have to watch recordings of previous meetings to work out what you said. So I, I found that's really helped me as well. That's an excellent point. And there are definitely a number of tools that you can use like Calendly or Meeting Bird. And those are the types of tools where if you're scheduling a meeting with a customer, you can actually have time blocked off so that the customer cannot schedule a time to meet with you at that moment because you have that time blocked off for preparation or follow-up. Yeah, exactly. There are definitely tools out there to help with prioritization and limit this idea of multitasking. Mm -hmm. And as we kind of round off the pod, I'm just interested for any kind of reflections or resources that you've used. So interested to know maybe books, other podcasts or blogs that you've done that's helped you professionally grow or as you reflect and it sounds like you've had an incredible journey in terms of some of the learnings and and how you've built the team anything here as you reflect back that you might have done differently or something you're really proud of interested for any insights there 100% yeah so when i first started i grew the the customer success team you know after a couple of years and i was a first time manager i had no idea what i was doing and I realized I needed to start reading as much as I could and learn from as many people as I could. And actually, last year, I made it my New Year's resolution to listen to 52 audiobooks. And say audiobooks because although I didn't have time to sit and read, I I did have a long commute to work. So I, Mm -hmm. I used that time to listen to some really great books that have really helped me grow professionally. And some of those books are The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni, The 360 Degree Leader by John C. Maxwell, Creativity Inc., which is a really great book about how these authors kind of implemented processes and helped develop their team at DreamWorks. And that that was a really, really interesting read. Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott. I think this is a great book for anybody who has trouble with confrontation and providing critical feedback. I think that's such an important part of being a customer success manager, but more importantly, a CS leader. So I'd highly recommend this book. 
the first time manager, that was the first book I picked up. <laughs> I started managing my first employee and you know that book really taught me so much about being a manager and, and what it takes to be an effective manager and lead by example. And it really helped me understand what it means to develop your employees professionally and personally. I also read Deep Work, which is an amazing book about how to really focus on your priorities and not get into this trap of multitasking, but really figuring out the right way to work on a project that is really highly impactful. And then Multipliers. I would say Multipliers by Liz Weissman and Greg McCann. That's one of my favorite books of all time. Multipliers is a book about how to leverage your existing team to develop their skills without having to hire outside resources. So for example, sometimes you might sit there and say, oh, I wish I had somebody who knew how to do this particular skill. And even just doing one-on-ones with my team, I learned that members of my team were able to accomplish these other goals but I had no idea they originally knew how to do. So it's really about how to get the most potential out of your existing team without having to continuously hire new people to accomplish the things that you want to get done. Really interesting. I mean, I always love, you know, great suggestion. I can't believe, did you say you had 52 audiobooks? So one each week? Yes. Uh, wow. Yes. Incredible. <laughs> Actually, an incredible achievement. And I always like to, you know, whenever I get asked about books on customer success, I think they're, most people by now have picked up one of the original customer success book, the, the famous blue book written by Dan Steinman, Nick Netter, and Lincoln Murphy back in the day, which was for many people their entry point into customer success. But there's been a, a plethora of new great books. A couple of great colleagues of mine, our chief customer officer, Ashvin, and uh, another colleague of mine, Ruben, have come up with a customer success professional's handbook, which takes some of the concepts of the original customer success book but actually how to apply them. So it's a fantastic read. And also the new book by Nick Mehta and Alison Pickens, The Customer Success Economy, which has just come out on Amazon. So would would heartily add those three books to everyone's read as well, particularly if you've got a wide and varied interest in customer success. I'm sure the audiobook version will come out as well. So when you are going back commuting, hopefully you can add those three to your list. But Samantha, thank you so much for joining me today. It's really fascinating to hear about your journey and, and some of those learnings that you've gone through. And, and I think there's been some really nice tangible takeaways for, for people that I'm sure would be in a, a similar position now that you are in. And hopefully it's going to make their lives easier. So uh, much, much appreciated. Absolutely. It was such a pleasure speaking with you. And I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. And of course, I'm always interested in you know meeting other CS folks in the community. So feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn and you know would love to connect and, and chat further. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Bye-bye now. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gainsight Game Changer podcast. Please follow, rate, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about all of our episodes, please visit Gainsight.com. This podcast is produced and edited by StudioPod. To learn more about their work, go to StudioPodSF.com. Studio Pod SF.com.